again will take the podium. From NBC Sports and Vox Media, this is The Podium. So let's get into the head of Sean White. The shipment of the United States. Lindsey Vaughn, this is her chance now. And I'm your host, Lauren Shahadi. Welcome to day 13 of the 2018 Olympic Winter Games. Here's Tim Struby with the headlines. Today in Pyeongchang, the U.S. women's hockey team beat their longtime rival Canada to clinch their first gold medal in 20 years. And Team USA's Jamie Anderson took the silver in women's big air snowboarding, her second medal of the 2018 Games. As for me, I was up at Phoenix Snow Park to watch the men's ski halfpipe. I met Jason Bennett at the edge of a huge crowd near the bottom of the course and I asked him if he thought a U.S. sweep might be possible. Oh, don't jinx it, you just <laughs> jinx it. Uh, it. It's possible, I think, I think we've got some strong uh, skiers on here, so it's very possible. Well, I guess I did it, I must have jinxed it. It wasn't a U.S. sweep, but it was close. Team USA's David Wise took a gold and Alex Ferreira took a silver. Last question, guys. Do you know anything about the judging? Like how this is judged or who's Absolutely judged? not. No. <laughs> As spectators on this, we know nothing about how they score anybody on any of this. Yeah. Jason's in luck. A ski halfpipe judge schools me on how it all works later in the show. But first, a couple of visitors to our studio. David Wise and Alex Ferreira, fresh off their medal-winning runs. I started with Wise, the Olympic veteran, and I asked him if he felt extra pressure this morning, given that the U.S. has been a little light in the medal count. It has been a little bit unfortunate to watch U.S. win so many fourth places this time around. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it pressure necessarily. I didn't add any pressure to myself, but it certainly is satisfying after the fact to be like, yes, we contributed to the medal count. Women just won ice hockey. Uh, Michaela Schifrin won today. So, like, today was a big day for Team USA, and to have participated in that is just an awesome honor for us. How has the U.S. team put together such a consistently strong freestyle team i mean it's now you know two olympics running what's the secret i think that it has to do with our rebel nature as americans you know we just have that like bad to the bone rebel nature approach to things that really caters well to events like ski half pipe ski slope style snowboard half pipe snowboard slope style snowboard big air because the best way to do well in those events is to do something that nobody else is doing Make yourself look completely different from the crowd, and you're going you're gonna to excel in that sport. Alex, there are only six runs over 90, and you had three of them. <laughs> were you in the zone today? Explain, like, where you were in your headspace. To be completely honest with you, I was quite nervous this morning upon waking up and falling asleep last night. Um, <laughs> I guess I just came out here and did my thing. David, you just won your second consecutive gold medal. Compare the experience to Sochi in 2014. It's different, the same... There's some similarities for sure, and there's some insane differences. The thing that I was saddest about in Sochi was the fact that even though I, w I won the gold medal and I got to represent the sport to the world on that world stage, free skiing didn't get to put on a show the way that we wanted to. The conditions weren't great. It was snowing like crazy, and everybody was going a third of the height that they normally would. And so when I was getting ready to drop in for my third run today, I knew that free skiing had won the day. I knew that we got to put on the show that people deserve to see. And obviously sharing the podium with uh, one of my best friends and somebody that I respect and who 
who helps me raise the bar on my skiing is amazing. Now, it looks like you have a future member of the U.S. ski team on your lap. Uh, could you introduce her, please? Yes, this is my daughter, Nayeli. She's six, and she didn't get to go to Sochi. So uh, this time around, we I got to bring her along. So she's was it, hanging out. Was it fun to see your dad win? Yeah. Thanks for coming into the podium. Thanks for having us on the podium. Thank you very much. On the night of the 2018 Olympic Winter Games opening ceremony, Team USA bobsledder Brianna Jones should be putting on her Olympic team gear, doing her hair, and getting ready to head out to the Pyeongchang Olympic Stadium. Instead, she has to watch the ceremony on TV. I'm watching everybody at opening ceremonies, all these different nations, and it's cool to see, but knowing that it's taking place just a few miles from me, she recorded this on her phone as she flipped through photos on Instagram of her teammates who were at the ceremony. So close that I can still hear the fireworks going off. It makes me a little sick to my stomach to see the images and know that I'm not granted access to see unless I get my own ticket. Jones isn't injured. She's not sick. She's an Olympic alternate. I wanted to know what it's like to be in this role, to attend the games but not compete. So we meet up at Cloud, a Korean beer and fried chicken joint about six miles from the stadium, and watch the ceremony together. I didn't want to really be there while they were getting ready because I, I just don't want people to feel sorry for me. And it's really easy when you're the only person for people to feel sorry for you. So I just kind of wanted to avoid the awkwardness and kind of just do my own thing. That's why I'm kind of glad I'm here because... Um, being there would be much harder than watching it on TV. Watching it on TV makes it seem like it's in another country, like it's not even here, it's not even down the street. Since childhood, Jones had dreamt of going to the Olympics as a track star. But after a celebrated college running career, she didn't make the 2016 Summer Games in Rio. So her track and field coach had another idea. He was an Olympian for the Winter Games in 98. And he was teammates with the coaches that are the bobsled coaches now for Team USA. The bobsled coach invited Jones to a training camp. And when he saw her run, he was interested. Then he invited her to the Olympic Training Center, where she won a push championship against the other rookies. I really had nothing to lose. I was, even though I was working three jobs, I was working three jobs in order to support my life as an athlete. So at any chance that I could get to get out of that, I was going to take... So they saw something in me, and I was one of the five to make the national team, the only rookie to make the team. Jones was named Rookie of the Year, but there was still no guarantee that she'd make the Olympic team. The U.S. women's bobsled team hoped to qualify three sleds for Pyeongchang and send six Olympians. Brittany Reinbolt for the USA with Asia Evans behind her. Reinbolt shooting for qualifying a third sled for the games for the U.S. What pressure. And if she does, she'll be the driver that goes. It was January in St. Moritz. It's going to be very close. Third place will do it. Fourth place will not. No speed. Everybody's kind of running frantic, trying to find out, like, what actually happened. One corner to go at the line. She's in fourth. Debrun is in. And Reinbold, I think, is out. Out of the games by 16 hundredths of a second. It just kind of got quiet all of a sudden, and that's when I kind of knew that we weren't going to be qualifying a third sled. And when it did happen, I knew that it was going to be that much harder 
for the team selection because instead of there being three race spots, there was going to be two. And instead of there being two alternate spots, there was going to be one. That same night at the team hotel, the bobsledders, one by one, were called into a little conference room. The coaches had made their decision. I knew it was going to be really, really close. I knew it was going to be really, really close. And me being a novice athlete in the sport wasn't going to play in my favor. Jones learned she was going to the Olympics, but not as she'd hoped. I made the Olympic team as an alternate. I won't be racing. I'm on the team, but I'm not a competing athlete. So it's weird because people will tell me, oh, good luck. Like, aren't you an athlete? And, I'm, and I say yes, because yes, I am an athlete. But are you wishing me luck? for the future because I'm not racing. The news was so painful she considered not going. It crossed my mind, but I knew that I wanted to have longevity in the sport and that I was going to be back and that going to the Olympics was gonna play a big part in that for myself, learning how everything works. Yet she didn't really know what was in store. It's a lot of emotional support and you just being there, your presence is very important, aside from you actually physically pushing a sled. That's something they don't tell you. You're their support system, but where's yours, you know? But there was more, and she found out what it meant to be an alternate on her first day in Pyeongchang. The most awkward moment was when I was um, at the table where they give information for the Olympic rings. And in order for you to finish team processing, you have to go through all the stations and have everything checked off. So I had to go there, even though I had a feeling I don't get an Olympic ring, but I sat there and I filled out the paper and I gave it to the lady and she wasn't saying anything to me. And I was like, okay. And she was like, well, um, you don't get a ring, but if anything were to happen and you were to compete and that were to change, we'll give you a call and we'll put this order through. And I was like, Thanks. <laughs> There's also grunt work she isn't accustomed to. I have to run around, grab everyone's bags, make sure that their bags get to the bottom of the track where they need them, make sure that everyone has what they need, and get the sleds to the line. When they get to the line, ready to race, and they take their coats off, I'm responsible for putting them in the bags. And it can be demeaning at times. It's not the same for every alternate, of course, but for Jones, it gets worse. There are countless moments that make her feel like an afterthought. If she wants to see one of the events, she has to buy a ticket. If she wants to wish her teammates good luck in the locker room, sorry, she can't go in. Yet as Jones says, the slights pale in comparison to the emotional and financial struggle. I have gone almost every day that I've been here kind of contemplating why I'm here, especially with the monetary aspect of it I'm thinking like I could be working right now you know and I'm gonna be going home to almost nothing it's definitely a test of like how bad do you want it because like I told you like it's crossed my mind every day like I could just quit I could just go home make money not worry about bobsledding not worry about being in the cold and leave this life behind but then I, like, I start to think about what life would be without it and the what-ifs. And I just don't like being that person like, yeah, you know, I was great. And if I would have stuck with it, I would have been the best. Like, I want to be able to say that because I did it. But even if by some stroke of luck Jones does get to compete, it comes with a caveat. 
Her lifelong dream will come at the expense of one of her teammates. Being able to race if something is to happen, like, it's in the back of my mind, but it's, it's, not, it's not something I really think of often, because, of course, I don't ever wish it on anyone. I mean, we're family, so it's important that you just, you're there for them if something happens, and just hope that it doesn't. When we talked to her, Jones knew her chances of representing her country were minimal. And this week, it was confirmed. She watched her teammates race without her. In the record books, the U.S. women's bobsled team finished second and fifth overall. As for Jones, her name is nowhere to be found. Since she didn't compete, neither the International Olympic Committee nor the United States Olympic Committee recognizes her as an Olympian. It will be as if she never went to Pyeongchang in the first place. I never want this feeling again. It's, it's, it was literally the worst feeling in the world. I don't know if it's worse being sent home or being sent to the Olympics and have to watch it happen and not be a part of it. The feelings that I have, I don't wish on anyone. A feeling like you're on a team, but you're not on a team. And I don't want that to ever happen again. But even as an alternate, there is, in a way, a silver lining. The fire for Beijing 2022. Like, I want to be known as the best athlete in the world, and I want to be on that podium, and I absolutely will not be in this position for the next games. I've been up to Phoenix Snow Park a few times in the last two weeks to cover freestyle skiing and snowboarding events. But today I watched the men's ski halfpipe with new eyes because of a conversation I had earlier this week with a judge. There's five judges in every judging panel, and none of us always have the same opinion. If everyone had the same opinion, you'd only need one judge. That's Steele Spence. He used to compete in slope style, but these days he's just watching from the sidelines, from the judging booth. Spence actually judged the men's ski halfpipe today, and when we talked, I asked him what makes judging an event like slopestyle different from, say, figure skating. The format that we judge on still is overall impression, which is a lot different than the figure skating in moguls and aerials formats where tricks will have set degrees of difficulty, there's a series of deductions, math equations that go sure. into this, and with overall impression, None of that is, is in there, and a lot of us have actually fought really hard to keep overall impression, leave it to the athletes to do whatever they choose. It's up to us as judges to evaluate it and give it our best, best rank. There, over the years, there have been proposals, uh, ideas from committees and nations saying, well, maybe we should go to another format where it could explain this a little bit more. A, a 1080 is worth this value. A hand drag is worth this much deduction. And that's the way these other sports have gone. But it will kind of restrict uh, and limit the free portion that we have of free skiing right now. And that's, the, that's sort of the essence of the sport itself, of that sort of creativity, right? It instead is. Of, instead of a, a structured performance like they might have in skating where you say, all right, they're going to do A, B, and C. Here you let the athletes kind of paint the canvas that we're all watching. Definitely. And it's, it's difficult for us to judge in this format. It weighs really heavily on us on how... We're going to rank things one way or another because it's not specific like that there's a right way to do anything. But it makes us unique to have overall impression. There's always a hint of 
There's subjectiveness, yeah. yeah. Instead of a science, it's still an art. Exactly. Now, I had seen a video where you were talking about the steno notes that are used during judging, mm-hmm. which is a sort of shorthand for judging. How would you explain it? And how do you how do you how are you able to do it while you're trying to focus on riders while writing down by hand scores? Yeah, steno are the notes that we take while the runs in progress, and it's a, a skill that each judge has. It takes a number of years to really get good at because you're keeping your eyes up on the rider as much as possible. Um, you know, I'll do a quick glance down occasionally, like twice during a run to make sure my pencil's still in the right place. But we watch the run live once to get that overall impression of it while taking these notes uh, going on below our eyesight. And that's really our tool that we use to replay a run in our head. We don't have replays. We keep the competition flow moving forward. One run goes, we're taking our notes live, I'll compare my notes one to another, and then give my score to rank that run above or below. So it's the biggest tool that we have. It's a, a definite skill that we have. It looks literally like a court stenographer. <laughs> it's a shorthand, little scribbles of letters, some numbers, some red circles around some certain items that might, you might have to question or such. So we've got the ski halfpipe men's coming up. We've got three Americans basically in medical contention. What do you look for in the halfpipe? What are the criteria? Take us through what you're looking for during those halfpipe runs. Yeah, so while the run's judged on overall impression, there are five criteria when we're comparing two runs. Uh, so we're looking for the execution, difficulty, variety, amplitude, and progression. So execution, straightforward, how well can you do it? It's the most obvious that you know, my mom can kind of recognize some some execution when watching a run, if there's a hand drag or a butt check or a missed grab, things like that. Difficulty is where, as judges, we really need to accurately estimate the difficulty of each one of those tricks and how they are linking these difficult tricks together. And variety is one of my favorite that people really don't think about as much, but there's four directions that a skier can spin. They can spin to their left, right, switch left, or switch right. So a well-rounded half-pipe run is going to have a variety of spin directions, a variety of grabs, you know, a different grab on every hit. Love to see that. And a variety of axis. Unlike other sports like diving or figure skating, you guys don't know what you're getting, do you? The run, you don't know what the athletes are about to, to pull off, right? Absolutely. Yeah, in other sports where you see the list of tricks that they're going to be doing, the routine, we don't have any of that. And lots of times in competitions, I've judged a lot of tricks that have been done for the first time ever in competition. Now, the free skiing community and the action sports community, in a sense, is pretty small. You know a lot of people. Are you afraid of conflict of interest in any times? I mean, I know your wife works with skiers and stuff like that. Is that a, has that been a problem? Do you have to recuse yourself from any races ever or no? I've never recused myself from any races, and none of our judges have. I mean, there is in the rules, a uh, judge can't have a direct family member. We had a great Norwegian judge whose brother made it up into the ranks in the World Cups, and he had to stop judging. And really, at each competition, and this is another thing, just as a, as a judge and any good judge, you'll have to do, I mean, we leave every past impression, anything that we like in the past or anything like that, and have to really just treat each competition as its own completely separate thing like that's that day it doesn't matter if we've seen a rider do a better run before you really have to clear your head of anything else and just focus on that day's competition and honestly more than any connection i could ever have anywhere like i i care 
so much about getting the ranking right in the end, and all the judges do. Sure. So that's what it comes down to. Steele Spence is a free skiing judge for the 2018 Olympic Winter Games. Tonight in primetime on NBC, figure skating wraps up with the women's free skate. The three Americans have their work cut out to reach the podium, while two figure skaters from the Olympic athletes from Russia team look to go 1-2. And it's also the final day of short track speed skating with the finals of the women's 1,000 meters and the men's 500 meters in team relay. Our show producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Our senior producer is Jillian Weinberger. Our executive producer is Nishat Kurwa. Special thanks to Jelani Carter. Find more episodes of The Podium on Apple Podcasts. You can watch the Winter Olympics on the networks of NBC, and you can stream every event live on NBCOlympics.com and the NBC Sports app. I'm Tim Struby. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.